You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. If you have your Bibles or your Bible apps or whatever it is you have, um, Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. It's going to be a simple message today. Uh, it's going to be so simple uh, that it's easy to, I think, miss, easy to forget. Sometimes it's the simple things we need to remember. Because at the end of the day, Christianity isn't complicated. It's just hard. Right? Like following Jesus, loving our neighbors, loving our enemies, uh, learning what it means to be loved by God. We're learning what it means to be known by God and then to know God and to love God. That entire journey, it isn't complicated. It's just hard. And so sometimes we don't need this big, big word. Sometimes we need just a simple reminder. Like there are times, and especially like this morning when it was like really cold outside. Um, I just wanted to stand up and say, all right, check it out. God loves you just as you are, not as you should be. That's not up for negotiation, so just don't forget that. And that should change you from the inside out to go love your neighbor as you love yourself. Don't forget that. And then pay attention to what Jesus is saying and doing and follow Jesus and don't forget that. Let us sing. <laughs> right? Like, because isn't that really a part of it? I mean, we need God to meet us in our personal spaces, right? We need God to, to meet us in our very particular places of life. And so sometimes those kind of abstract, generic words, as true as they may be, they don't always cut it. And so then what God gives us is the scriptures. He gives us stories. Because the very same Jesus you read about in this text is the very same Jesus that the Bible says is at work in the world right now through the Spirit of God. In different ways, sure. But at work nonetheless, yes. And the journey of the Christian life is learning to trust that. The journey of the Christian life is learning how to live as though that's true. So I read this text, I hear this text, I receive this text, do I believe this text? And then I'm going to set my life out in such a way, I'm going to make plans and priorities in such a way that demonstrate my belief in the promises of this story or in what I see in the story. And I'm going to trust that and I'm going to move on. And when I struggle to trust that, I'm going to turn to the people of God. I'm going to be reminded of our confession, right? I'm going to come to the table of the Lord, the Eucharist, and receive it. I'm going to turn to prayer, I'm going to turn to silence, I'm going to turn to presence, I'm going to turn to scripture, and I'm going to remember that it's true. I'm going to remember that there's 2,000 years of tradition, tangible, actionable evidence of a people who joined God in transforming the world, transforming the world with things like hospitals and orphanages and workforce development programs that are all the church's idea. Those are all the church's idea because they believed deeply in a Jesus who said, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, thirsty and you gave me something to drink, naked and you clothed me, I was sick and you cared for me, I was a prisoner and you visited me, I was homeless or I was without shelter and you took me in. They believed that and it changed how they lived their life. And so sometimes we need to get into the scriptures and we need to, well not sometimes, all the time we need to be reminded of scripture and the stories within and so as you read this story today as we read this story together i ask you to remember that the same jesus who's at work in this story 
according to the promises of God with a bloodstained cross and an empty tomb that we all just sung about. The same Jesus at work in this story is the same Jesus at work in yours, just in different ways. Mark chapter 7, verse 31. Jesus left Tyre, went up to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Ten Towns. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him. And the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. Jesus led him away from the crowd so they could be alone. He put his fingers in the man's ears. And spitting on his fingers, he touched the man's tongue. Looking up to heaven, Jesus sighed deeply and said to him, Ephapha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, his speech difficulty was removed, and he began to speak clearly. And Jesus ordered them, tell no one. The more he would order them, the more they would proclaim it. They were extremely astonished and said, he's done everything well. He even makes deaf people hear and people unable to speak talk. It's one of my favorite stories in Scripture, and I have taught this story countless times, maybe, oddly, maybe twice in this church in almost, well, in, in 11 full years, maybe twice here, but anytime I'm asked to speak at, like, chapels or, like, kind of a one-and-done kind of environment. I love telling this story because there's so much to it. So I want you to sit the scene for a minute in your imagination. This is a man who cannot hear, and his speech is impaired in some way. And in his society, he would probably be alone because he can't hear, and his speech is impaired in some way. And so he's marginalized because of how his ears and his mouth functions in his society. And he's probably sitting off to himself when all of a sudden a crowd comes. And a crowd comes and they begin to speak. He can see their mouths moving, but he cannot hear. He has something to say, but he cannot speak. And they grab him. And they begin to take him somewhere he does not know. And he can't ask them where they are going. He cannot ask them what they are doing with his body, with his life. He is at their mercy. And maybe just out in the distance, he sees this Jesus. And they want a public spectacle. They want a show. They want a circus trick. They want an act. They want a performance. They want Jesus to heal this man. That's the way the text reads. It doesn't read as if they were sincerely concerned about this man. It reads as if they just wanted to see if everything they had heard about Jesus was true. This man is a means to an end. He is objectified and dehumanized and politicized for an agenda that is not his own. What does Jesus do? Does Jesus entertain the masses? Does he give them the show they want? No. The Messiah will not be managed, and he will not be domesticated for the agenda of the majority. He pulls this man aside. Scripture says, 
Jesus led them away from the crowd so they could be alone. Maybe this man's nervous system and his brain needed to de-escalate just a bit. Maybe he needed to calm down. Maybe he needed to de-escalate. Maybe his, he needed to breathe. Maybe he needed to realize that he's not going to be harmed and hurt. And so Jesus pulls him away from the noise. The noise he cannot hear, but the noise he can surely see. The noise he feels in his body as the adrenaline is rushing through his veins. And the cortisol spinning out of his brain and his nervous system and everything is wound up. He feels that. Maybe even on the verge of panic attack, feels it. And Jesus pulls him aside. Alone, the text tells us. Away from the crowd, the text tells us that. And then Jesus looks up to heaven. It's like Jesus looks to the sky. And the Bible says he sighed deeply. And in the Greek language, sighed deeply means he groaned from his bowels. That's what it means. Jesus didn't just go, like he was exasperated, irritated, frustrated. Jesus just groaned. And I don't know why he groaned. Maybe he groaned because humans aren't meant to be undignified. Maybe he groaned and maybe he sighed because no one should be dehumanized and treated like an object. No one should ever be politicized and treated like an agenda. Maybe he sighed because he knew he had to lead the man away from a crowd in order to affirm his dignity and show him that he wasn't a project to be fixed or a problem to solve, but a person to be embraced just as he is. Maybe that's why I sighed. I don't know, maybe, maybe Jesus sighed because ears were meant to hear and mouths were meant to speak. Maybe he sighed because those parading the man around who had ears that could hear and mouths that could speak actually did not have ears that could hear. And mouths that could speak. I don't know why Jesus sighed. But he did. He drew this man away from the crowd. I was making an object of his humanity. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus meets us. But not on our terms. And sometimes Jesus has to draw us away from the things that are harming us. Sometimes the harms are hobbies that we enjoy. We just don't see the harm. Sometimes the harms are habits we hold. We just don't see the harm. Sometimes the harms are the dreams that we have where the lordship of Jesus isn't really allowed to break in. They're just our dreams. And so sometimes Jesus needs to draw us away from the things that are harming us and bring disruption to the things that have our attention so we can give him our attention. And the thing to remember about the story 
is Jesus doesn't do this to harm us. He does this to heal us. And maybe in ways we don't even realize we need healing. See, what I see in this story is that sometimes Jesus will need to touch the very places of our lives that make others shy away from us. Sometimes Jesus will have to touch the very places of our lives that have been labeled as broken. Sometimes Jesus will have to touch the very places of our lives that have actually wounded us. I want you to look at the text again. Jesus doesn't just say to the man, speak and hear. He could have done this just with his voice. So the question would be, why would Mark want us to see Jesus touching the man's ears that could not hear? Touching the man's tongue that could not speak. Maybe it's because we need to remember that sometimes Jesus has to touch the very, very places that are sensitive to the touch. The wounds may have to be pulled back. The scars and the scabs may have to be pulled back in order to heal so they no longer fester. And maybe that's why Jesus needs to draw us to himself alone. Because he needs to trust us. He needs us to trust him. That he has our good in mind. Because sometimes Jesus will need to expose the very thing we're trying to hide. Sometimes Jesus will have to expose the very thing that others are exploiting. This could be persons in our lives. This could be places. This could be things that we hold dear. And sometimes for Jesus to touch these things and expose these things, he has to draw us away. Sometimes it's for good. Sometimes it's for a season. Sometimes he has to draw us away from the dream we've been holding from the plans that we've made, from the priorities we are tight-fisted with, to maybe even the relationships where Jesus isn't Lord of it, or maybe the relationships that we know deep down in our soul are unhealthy for us, maybe the causes that we deeply believe in because they resonate deep inside of us, but they lack a kingdom ethic. Maybe the ideologies we hold to and want to vote for. But they don't align with what we see in the teaching and the ministry of Jesus. Maybe Jesus has to draw us away from refusing to take hold of the things that are reflective of the kingdom. Either way, Jesus may have to draw us away. See, that's the hard part. Because the reality of life is a lot of times we are led by our wounds. The wounds and the harms and the things that we hold that end up wounding us that we may not even know are wounding us. And I want to be clear. We may not even know that we're walking around with a limp. We may not even know that our heart is hurting because we've just grown so used to carrying it in our hearts, right? 
and we hide it. And we know we're hiding it. We know we're tucking it away. We say things like, I don't want to talk about it right now, or I don't want to deal with it right now, or that was then, let the past be the past. We use whatever we do. We tuck it away, and so we don't, we don't recognize the weight we carry in our souls, in our, in our souls. And so we just walk around with it, and what Jesus needs to do sometimes is draw that out of us. And so God sends somebody into our lives who confess that Jesus is Lord to speak truth, and the truth stings and it hurts, and we even maybe even get offended because it messes with our ideology, or it messes with our dreams, or it messes with our beliefs, or it messes with what we hold dear. And so instead of staying put and wondering, could Jesus be drawing me closer unto himself, we run away and we go back. And we're just led around by our wounds, our wounds of resentment and bitterness. Our wounds of victimization and martyrdom. Our wounds of persecution. And I do that in air quotes for some of us, and I don't do it in air quotes for some of us. Our wounds. We're led away by our wounds. And the thing about wounds is that the wounds create needs. Right? When we're wounded, it creates needs. We need something as a result of the wound that's been inflicted. We lose a relationship, we need another relationship. We lose a job, we need another job. We, we lose a hab- hobby, we, we need another hobby. We lose the functionality of our body in the way that it used to be, so we, we need something else to do. We, we, we need a new change, we need to change the scene because something happened that hurt us and we want to leave. Wounds create needs, and the needs are oftentimes real and they're valid. They're real needs. The problem is not the need. The problem sometimes comes with the grasping that the need creates. When we're trying to fill the need, we're just literally grasping, trying to fill it with whatever it is we can. We try to fill it with a new hobby or a new body or a new relationship or a new job or more money or more this or more that or refusing this or refusing that. But we're grasping and we're aimlessly grasping at things. And so the wounds create needs and the needs create grasping. And you know what the grasping creates? More wounds. And that's what I call the cycle of wounds. Where the wounds create needs and the needs create grasping and the grasping creates wounds and create more needs and creates more grasping. And yet here comes Jesus willing to disrupt. Willing to disrupt the grasping. So that he can uncover the real need that the wound created. Are y'all with me? So let's not be surprised if in our grasping we are led away from Jesus and back to the person's places or things that harm us and exploit us and yet Jesus is trying to draw us away. So let us not be surprised when Jesus fights for us and then has to enter in and disrupt these things, create the unsettled spirit within us. When Jesus has to pull us away from the persons, places, or things that are leading us and guiding our lives, and it's going to be hard, and it's going to be heavy. But if Jesus is leading you away, then it means Jesus is with you. And that is a good place to be. Jesus always creates new possibilities. Jesus is always wanting to give dead things life. He wouldn't stay dead. He gives resurrection. That's what Jesus does. And so what breaks this cycle of allowing our wounds to pull us into grasping for what we need and sometimes then result in drawing us away from the liberation and the healing 
is the reality of these stories that show us of the empathy and the compassion and hospitality of Jesus. See, contrary to popular belief and word on the street, empathy is a biblical ideal. Because empathy is about cultivating the imagination to see a shared sense of humanity in the other and then allowing that imagination to provoke compassion that moves us into solidarity with the other. Are you all with me? Come on now, I got self-esteem problems. I'm going to need some nonverbals when I'm only seeing half a face. All right. You see what I'm saying? So like, so there's all this word about empathy being a sin. All these, I got to take my coat off of this because this stuff, this stuff, this stuff like works me up. I'm going to try. I've only had one cup of coffee this morning. I can just now feel my toes from being outside, but we're going to get after it. So empathy. Like there's this idea that empathy can pull us away from our moral center. And I would say that in the kingdom of God, empathy is a part of our moral center. Empathy draws us in to see the shared humanity that we have with other people. And that shared humanity that I then imagine, that I begin to cognitively work out, that I say, oh, that's suffering, that's suffering. I don't know what it's like to suffer like that, but that suffering is heavy and it's hard. And I see that person suffering in their body and in their mind and in their heart. And that moves me then by the Holy Spirit. It moves me to compassion because the word compassion means to care. But the, but the Greek word for compassion, when you read in the Bible and it says Jesus had compassion on them, it means that he was moved from his bowels. Compassion is gut-level empathy. Are you with me? It's not sympathy. It's not, I'll pray for you. It's not, give it to Jesus. It is enter into the suffering of another because we follow the suffering servant into the suffering of other people's suffering and we find resurrection, you ready? Together. But before that can even start, we have to let Jesus draw us away. We have to allow the empathy and the compassion of Jesus to move us away from the things that are distracting us from the empathy and compassion of Jesus and welcome the hospitality of God. Welcome the welcome of Jesus. Beloved, you are welcomed by Jesus. There's nothing you can do to keep you from the welcome of God. There's, don't let anybody tell you that. And don't be surprised that then Jesus wants to touch you in those very places that people say make you unworthy. That Jesus wants to touch you in those places where people say make you not wanted. Touch you in those places that people like to exploit for their own good and their own benefit and their own greed and power. Jesus will meet you in those places. That's the story. But he may have to draw you away. You may have to let go for a minute. Now, he may tell you to go back. He may tell you to walk on. But you'll never know if you don't let him draw you away. Sometimes it's hard to believe this, and I recognize that. Like we can hear a word like this, and we can go, okay, what does that mean? What does this mean practically? Sometimes it's hard to believe. And so we're given stories like that. We're given stories just like this one to encourage us to believe. Are you with me? 
but we won't believe if we don't open up the scriptures and get into the story. Then we're left to our own devices, right? Sometimes drawing, being drawn away from things that are harming us is to open the scriptures and receive the stories that are there and let God do some soul work. You with me? Sometimes the answer is not going to be found in another person. Sometimes you have to sit with it. Everybody say sit with it. Sometimes you got to sit with it. But you know you're not sitting alone. That you can believe. You may not have a clue what Jesus is doing right now, but you know you're not sitting alone. That you can believe. There is a blood-stained cross and an empty tomb that says it's so. You are not alone. Sometimes it looks like going to your Christian brothers and sisters. Sometimes it looks like going to a brother or sister that you believe is spiritually mature. Everybody say spiritually mature. And I mean spiritually mature, not not just anybody. Like somebody you admire their faith, you admire their walk. And what I love about our church family is our rule of life. Love one another for God's sake. Say it with me. Guard one another's backs. Protect one another's personal values. Believe one another's motives and sing one another's praises. You go to someone who shares a rule of life with you and you say, I need you to guard my back right now. I've got, yeah, do you have 10 minutes? Can we chat? Can you, can you just pray for me? You enter into that space and you invite people in and you ask them to pray that you can hear if Jesus is drawing you away for a season to bring about some liberation so that God can send you back in from where he drew you or maybe tell you to walk on. So we need the community of God's people. And sometimes we just need to need to stop straining and pray. We need to Sometimes we just need to sit and say, God, I'm here. I think we sometimes forget that that's a prayer too. God, I need help. That's a prayer. God, are you listening? That's a prayer. God, reveal yourself to me. That is a prayer. And then sometimes we need to resist the grasping. Resist the grasping. Resist the grasping. And be still. See, so many times we are, thro- we, are, we are thrown overboard in this sort of like, like boat of life. And we're thrown overboard into this vast ocean. And we are grasping and straining because our eyes are out here. And we fail to see that there is a life raft right under our nose. And Jesus is trying to draw us in and say, I am with you And if you're in that place where you're doubting this, where you're struggling this, then that's exactly a good place to be too. Then take that to God. Take that to Jesus. And then give him space, if you will. Just just do it enough. Keep showing up. We talked about that two weeks ago, right? Three weeks ago. Keep showing up. Keep showing up. And keep showing up. And keep showing up. And Jesus will meet you there. It's what he's promised to do. And when we struggle, we have 2,000 years of stories. Real life, real people, evidence-based, actionable, tangible stories. Bigger than your own story and my own story to lean into. The God who was at work there is the God at work 
here. The Jesus who is at work here is the God at work and is the Jesus at work here. And then we have to decide. Do we believe? Even if it is a, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Either way, Jesus is here for him. He knows you best, he loves you most, and he will do what it takes. If God can't get your attention, he will disrupt and disturb what does and draw you away and be with you, dignify you, embrace you, and set you on the path toward healing you in God's own way and God's own time. And then, we're invited to remember that what Jesus desires to do in us, he desires to do through us. And we can then, but then we'll be ready. So here's what I like to do. Sorry with you. I'd like to invite you to take a few moments in the stillness of this. There's going to be no guitar, there's going to be no nothing, just the, the wonderful sound and the hum of our medical-grade HEPA filters. And I'd like to ask that you just sit still and ask the Lord, how might you be drawing me away from where I am to be closer to you? Just ask that question, and, and if there's something that comes to your head, if it's a person, if it's places, if it's a thing, then hold it. Hold it, hold it in you. Just hold it in you. You don't need to resolve it right now. Say, don't resolve it. Come on, say it. Don't resolve it. That's what we want to do. See, you didn't want to say it. Say, don't resolve it. Y'all like, I ain't saying that. I want to resolve it. Sit with the discomfort and the tension. Know that Christ is with you, but sit there with it. And then what I'm going to invite you to do, the appropriate time, I'm going to invite you to bring that to the table. I'm not going to ask you to lay it down. We have this weird notion that we think that we lay down what we bring into the gathering of God's people. We don't. We don't lay it down. We don't come here to forget stuff. Y'all get me? Like, y'all feel me on that? Like, we say, we don't come here to forget what's happening in the ways of the world. We come here to remember what's really happening in the world so that we can engage it, reframe it, and do something with it. You see what I'm saying? Like, we don't come here to forget. We come here to remember so that we can reimagine the life that God has given us. So take whatever it is and bring it to the table and just carry it with you. And if you feel compelled to do what some people in first gathering did, stick around and pray. We had that happening in first gathering. If you feel compelled to come to somebody else and say, hey, I need you to I need you to tell, will you be available sometime this week so we can maybe so I can talk? Do what you feel compelled to do. Whatever you do, hold it, bring it to the table, carry it with you, and let Jesus walk with you through that. All right, so we're going to sit still for a minute. And Jason and I are going to receive you at the table in a few moments. So just be still. Know that the Lord is with you.
You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. 